Hello and welcome to Ingray Company, where we bring you leading business minds to share their experience, expertise, practical tools, and innovative ideas to help you thrive in business. I am your host, Ramona Cedeno, CPA, CFP, and founder of Fibric, an accounting and fractional CFO firm that brings customized solutions to businesses in technology and professional services. I am so happy to be joined by Josh Joel from Staten Law and the host of the Staten Law podcast. Super excited to talk to you about employment law. Yes. How can you get excited about that, right? We can. I know Josh and I can, right, Josh? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Employment is exciting for me, certainly, except especially when I can help solve people's problems. Exactly. Plus, if you have to talk about this topic with your advisors, it means that you are growing, your business is thriving, you are employing uh, staff, your staff is growing, and you have issues maybe that you want to address proactively. So always good to see that we need advisors, that we need technology, that we need tools, because that means that we are growing. So welcome, Josh. I am so happy that you, uh, you know, came to our show today and that you have all this knowledge to share with us. I am Looking forward to learning so much from you today. So get ready. We have a lot to cover. Thank you so much. And please tell us a little bit about you, your career, and the business, how you help small business owners to really navigate through all these employment laws that we see changing from time to time, but also that we have to keep uh, compliance with. Sure. Well, and thank you so much for having me today, Ramona. And I'm really pleased to be here because... As you know, you and I kind of share a passion for helping small businesses, entrepreneurs and startups really build out their 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 businesses in a way that they don't have to be concerned or worried. I might for me, uh, legal issues and for you, financial issues. And so we share that shared passion. And while we do different things, we certainly work in the same space. And it's really exciting for me to be here with you uh, to to talk about this and to talk about what I do. So I'm here in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, down south. So I know that's kind of out of town for you you folks up there. Um, there's That's that little space between New York and Miami. We're, we're kind of in the middle. Um, and uh, I work for a, a small firm. We have about uh, 14 lawyers here. And we are passionate about helping small businesses and entrepreneurs uh, make their lives better and not worry about legal problems. I'm an employment lawyer primarily, and the other attorneys in my firm can pretty much do anything for a small business from from soup to nuts and everything in between beginning to end. And so I'm excited to be here. Uh, I've been doing employment law for six, seven years. Uh, I use, I come from a big law, big firm kind of pedigree and background. And, uh, and that's where I come from. And I try to use those skills to really help uh, the smaller businesses resolve their legal issues in a way that's a little more business-minded, business-oriented, practical, pragmatic, and uh, not your average attorney, just similar to the way that you approach uh, your clients as well. So I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. And I'm glad you brought that up because I usually say something that I admire and uh, like about my guests. And, and one of the things that I really like about you is besides the fact that you are an expert in your field and um, that you know what you're doing. I actually, I really, I noticed that you are very responsive. You stay on top of your emails, which is sometimes a challenge nowadays. But yes, you, the approach that you have to client service and to 
business development and to staying on top of what you do and it, all these changes is really, to me, something that all providers, service providers and partners and advisors should have, but it's not something that we find every day. And everything that we do as business owners impacts not only our companies, but the way we service our clients. So I really admire that of you. And that's why we're here today together. Thank you. And responsiveness is the key. I mean, the, the reality is that most business owners, they don't want to have to wait around. They want their problems to be solved. They want them solved quickly and easily and efficiently. And if we're not responsive to them, then then what's the point? You know, and I'm, I'm very uh, that's a big passion of mine to stay on top of things and make sure that we are there for our people. Thank you. And there is something you mentioned originally that um, at the beginning that I thought I wanted to highlight, and it's related to the firm that you work with. I think it's um, important when we find an advisor that they cover or their firm covers multiple areas within business that might impact impact us somehow. So in your case, although your specialization is in employment law, your partners in the company um, can help in other areas of law. So I think it's something that as business owners, sometimes we miss. We say, okay, I need an employment law uh, attorney. And we go and find someone who just does employment uh, law. And then later we need someone who can help us with setting up our options agreement or fundraise. And then we don't have that at the moment and we have to go and search for another firm. Yeah, no, so it, it's a hundred percent, you know, it's trying to provide the full service and the full gamut of everything that, that a client needs so that, you know, like you, like you mentioned, when you develop a relationship with a trusted advisor, you want to be able to have a trusted advisory relationship that can cover all your needs. And therefore, while I might do employment law, the small business owner doesn't necessarily make that distinction and they want to have the relationship with me and and therefore ask me their questions on any area of law that's important to them. And I have to be able to provide that service in a more holistic way for the entire business. And that's, that's very important, especially for the smaller business owners. We can't be cabined into one area of law or one area of practice. We really have to have expertise in a lot of different areas. I agree. Thank you for that, Josh. So let's go back to employment law. As a CPA, I do get questions around other services that my business owners might need and employment law comes up as one of the first ones, except for maybe options agreements or fundraising. But one of the questions that comes up is, when is the right time? When do I need to hire an employment attorney? I you know, Some business owners will say, I just have one employee do, do I have to bother with this now? Do I incur the extra expense at this moment? What do you recommend for someone who is just making their first hire or the second hire in terms of covering this area so critical to their business? Yeah, that's that's a really great question. And it's a question that confronts a lot of people when it comes to attorneys or any business advisor. When is it time to reach out and hire someone or help get the help that we need? And I want to emphasize the fact that the most important thing for any small business owner is to start generating revenue. Uh, we recognize that your average startup entrepreneur, they just need to generate revenue before they start thinking about the various startup costs that might be at play uh, in 
in, in developing that business. And so the first thing we tell people is focus on your business, focus on generating revenue while recognizing that there are issues that come up that if you don't address early in the stages of your development, they're going to be much bigger issues down the road. So outside the employment law context, the most obvious one is going to be the partnership agreements and making sure that you're set up in a way uh, that that your partnerships are are are, are set up appropriately, uh, and so that that makes a lot of risk go down down the road. And so it's worth investing the money early uh, with respect to illegal issues and recognizing that is that should be factored into the startup costs of any business. But specifically in the context of employment law, the obvious answer uh, is that you really need to have an employment lawyer on hand when you start hiring employees, right? A lot of people make the mistake of thinking they don't need an employment lawyer until they have a problem. And uh, as soon as you start getting to the stage, and and please God, every single small business should get to the stage where they are starting to hire new people and bring people in and scale their business. And the minute that they do that, you've got to have an employment lawyer who can help you uh, navigate those initial issues with uh, the new employees that come in. Because if you don't do it when they come in the door, you can have a lot bigger problems down the road. I totally agree with that. And it's the same question that I get about CPAs. <laughs> and it's like, when do I get a new CPA? And I always say, you know, the time might not be right now, but you should know who you go to when you need them. Right? So as you grow, as you start needing to file you know, big compliance with taxes or uh, any financial reporting requirements, do you have someone that you can call and say, okay, I'm ready to move forward? Correct. So I think it's important to, yes, to do your homework and find the right advisors in all areas for your business. And then when you're ready to engage them, then you do. Correct. Thank you for that, Josh. Um, what are some of the biggest mistakes small business owners and tech founders or startup founders make in terms of employment law that, and I'd love to hear, I mean, I shouldn't say I'd love to hear because that doesn't sound nice, but I was going to say, I'd like to hear some stories. One nightmare that you have seen happen to someone because we can learn from all those mistakes. And I think that is actually the best, one of the uh, more effective ways of learning sometimes. 100%. And it's, you know, you, you never want to see your clients make mistakes. Uh, and for, for those of us who actually care very deeply about the development of our clients' business, we don't want to see them make the, those mistakes. And sometimes it hurts to see a client stepping into something, a pitfall that they might not even know is a pitfall before, before they even get there. And so uh, going back to um, your question before, and I think they relate very much with one another, is when do you have to get an, uh, an, an employment lawyer involved? Well, that relates exactly to the, to the question you just asked me now. The minute you make your first hire, especially in the tech space, especially in the startup space, where your entire value are your relationships, are your uh, your your client relationships, the, the intellectual property that you have, your ideas, the things that are the value that you bring to the table, the minute you bring someone new into that business, they're going to have access to and knowledge of the the, the value that your business has, the value proposition, which is oftentimes, depending on the industry, your relationships or your idea. So the very biggest mistake that I have seen startups make is not getting appropriate employment agreements in place from the get-go with enforceable, appropriate 
restrictive covenants. And a lot of times they say, well, we're just going to go into LegalZoom or we're going to hodgepodge a, 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 a nothing wrong with LegalZoom, but, but, but not in this context, right? We're going to hodgepodge a bunch of different uh, things we find online together, not recognizing that restrictive covenants. And when I say restrictive covenants, I'm referring to non-competition, non-competes, non-solicit, protection of intellectual property and confidentiality. Right. Those are the primary components, those four components of a, of a of a of restrictive covenants within an employment agreement and getting those in place is critical because you can watch millions, literally millions of dollars walk out the door and you can do nothing about it. If you don't invest the two thousand dollars, twenty five hundred dollars or less to have a good employment lawyer who understands entrepreneurs and startups put appropriate employment agreements in place with appropriate restrictive covenants that are going to be enforceable under the state law under which you're operating. And that is probably the biggest early stage mistake that we see startups make is not doing that. And I, I can tell you war story after war story of situations where, you know, very ambitious, smart, savvy business owners who just want to build their business, they they look at the cost of legal services, which it's not very expensive when it comes to uh, the bigger picture of the potential risks involved, the few thousand dollars it will spend. And they say, no, I don't want to spend that money on a lawyer. I'd rather just go online and figure something out and, and be Google lawyer or be my own attorney. Um, and so the point is, is that is that that's not appropriate because I'll give you a war story without giving any specific uh, client information in, involved in it. And this happens more often than you would imagine. And I have the fortune of being able to see both sides of the equation. Most people come to me after they have a problem or after there's an issue involved, they don't come to me proactively. And I'll tell you, when you come to the lawyer after you already have a problem, it is a hell of a lot more expensive to resolve that problem than when you come to the lawyer proactively to deal with it in the beginning. So example, uh, someone comes to me, this happens probably once a month, once every two months. I am either a departing employee or I have an employee departing. Let's go with the departing employee, right? And I have non-competes or restrictive covenants that don't allow me to do my work, right? And I want to go and find a way to be able to start a competing business. Well, you give that to an employment lawyer like me. I look at those agreements and I say, well, I can drive a truck through the holes in these agreements, right? And I and therefore, the leverage that your employer has is very, very small compared to uh, to compared to what you think it might be. And so therefore I, I can tell them, let me speak to the lawyer on the other side. I can have a heart to heart lawyer to lawyer and say, you know, that your client screwed up and put non-competes in place that are not necessarily going to be enforceable. We can fight over this for the next three years. It's going to cost your client hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's going to cost my client hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I'm not joking about those costs or let's figure out You've lost your leverage in this negotiation. Let's figure out a way for this person to leave in an appropriate uh, and, and amicable way where they can get out of their covenants. I can't tell you that how many times I've helped people do that because that startup that the employer did not take the time or money to invest in creating, you know, uh, locking down enforceable covenants that they can make sure that their employees are not going to steal their information, steal their clients or steal their ideas on their way out the door. And so flipping that to the other side, which is the people I typically represent, which is the business owners, I often tell them it is well, uh, I saw in, someone in the comments mentioned a, 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 an ounce of prevention is a pound of a cure. Absolutely. Spending the, the $2,000 of 2250 or 2,500, depending on the complexity or more to put an appropriate restrictive covenant agreement in place, an appropriate employment agreement in place can save you a 
hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees down the road, but more importantly, millions of dollars of revenue lost if you are not able to enforce your agreements when your your employees leave your company and go somewhere else. And so that is a, I think is is the very first mistake that I see a lot of startups make is really playing Google lawyer on things that are very complex. Restrictive covenants are are developing. It's very controversial. It's very complex. Every state is different. And to have a lawyer come in and really help you unpack how to make those best to leverage yourself and protect yourself and protect your interests before, uh, before before you even hire someone as they come in the door, that is absolutely key. Oh my gosh, I love everything you said because I have seen so much of this happen where uh, I see engagement uh, offer letters that are too short. Um, sometimes they don't cover anything that is, I know that we need to comply with in the case of any issues later on legally, but also um, the NDAs, the non compete, the non disclosure agreements that sometimes are paired with the offer letters are not. Uh, or the employment letters, I want to use the right term, they are not uh, comprehensive. And one thing I thought of, and, and maybe you, you mentioned this, is that it's also important to ensure that the non-disclosure agreements includes covers your clients, right? So you don't want employees to also uh, make some private information about your clients public, right? So can you also talk about that a little bit, Josh? Sure. So, so that, that's a that's a great point, and and let's let's be clear here for one second that even outside of the employment agreement, when you hire someone as an employee under every state law, they have what's called a duty of loyalty to their employer. It's it's kind of like a fiduciary duty that you talk about in the financial uh, world, which is that when you hire an employee as a full time employee or a part time employee, they are required to to. Uh, give all of their efforts to you and not to any self-interest uh, or anybody else uh, who might have a competitive interest towards you. So that's number one. And so when it comes to client information, that em- when you have an, emplo- uh, an employee within your within your company, they also have to act in the best interest of your client because that's it, that's in your best interests. Now, oftentimes when when you sign a non-disclosure agreement with a client, uh, in terms of the 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 information that's going to be passed back and forth between you and your clients, right? That non-disclosure agreement will include your employees that they also have to comply with non-disclosure obligations uh, that you have with your client. And typically in a in the employment agreement, the offer letter or the restrictive covenant agreement, it's important to have confidentiality provisions, and they almost all do, that require your employees to maintain your information as confidential and your client's information as confidential as an extension of that. And confidential information has to be defined and has to be clear what is considered confidential in order to be able to enforce that both during their employment. And you can also enforce that after they leave, that they, after they leave, they cannot take your confidential information or your trade secrets your client's confidential information or their trade secrets and go use that to compete unfairly in the marketplace. Yes. Thank you, Josh. And what are some of the main things that we should take into account uh, from a, an employment law perspective at the federal level? You, you mentioned four items that we should include in our employment uh, agreements with employees, but is there anything else that is major this day, especially since COVID, anything that has changed that we must become aware now? Because for many years, we have taken some things for granted. Now we are employees at will, we have to pay fair salaries, they're right. exempt and non-exempt employees. 
But things change, and I know it cha- they change in the world of tax laws all the time. So right. any major issues today that we should be aware of? Yeah, 100%. Um, so this is a complicated question, but I'm going to try <laughs> to simplify it as much as possible. Uh, it really, a lot of it depends on the size of the, of the employer, right? So the, the demarcation line, which, which is important to know, is the, number, the key number. Never forget this number when it comes to employment law is 15. Okay, if you have 15 or more employees, you are going to be hoisted onto you a whole bunch of federal laws with respect to what you have to do with your employees. So 15 or more is when uh, is when discrimination laws come into play. Uh, We're talking about uh, Title seven, which is discrimination based upon race, gender, religion, all these different protected classes. The ADA disability uh, requirements, um, uh, disability law, pregnancy discrimination, all the discrimination laws really kick in. Those are the federal laws kick in when you have 15 or more employees. When you have 50 or more employees, that's another threshold to be aware of. That's when you start talking about potentially FMLA, which is which is uh, federal leave requirements and things like that. But I'm going to assume for a minute, let's talk about 15 minus because we're talking about entrepreneurs. A lot of folks, it takes a while for them to get above the 15 employee threshold. The biggest mistake when it comes to federal law. uh, And again, there's a a whole host of state laws that every state is different. And definitely check your state laws. I know in New York, New Jersey, there's a whole lot more than here in Georgia, where essentially you could do whatever. (laughs) There's very few uh, uh, employment laws that are on employers here in Georgia. In New York, you have the New York Human Rights Act, other things like that. Um, that certainly are, are important uh, to take into consideration. But when it comes to federal law, the most important thing to consider is wage and hour rules, uh, the Fair Labor Standards, Fair Labor Standards Act, which is a rule that 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 requires you to pay minimum wage and requires you to pay overtime. One of the biggest mistakes that employees make, and it's important to employers make when it comes to federal laws, is hiring quote 1099 employees. That is a misnomer. There's no such thing, right? You either hiring 1099 independent contractors or you're hiring W-2 employees. There's no such thing as a 1099 employee. It is very complicated under federal law what it is that, what, what defines an employee versus an independent contractor. And a lot of startups think that we can just uh, pay them 1099, right? And, and not do the withholdings. And then we're covered. We don't have to worry about paying overtime. We don't have to worry about liabilities that we have with our, with them doing stuff we don't like. We don't, and then, but the reality is, is that what whatever you want to call it, it is not, it doesn't matter, right? Under federal law, the definition of employee versus independent contractor is a legal issue. And what does it boil down to? It's a very complicated situation, but control. If you control the, the the means and methods by which that employee does the work that they do, that person does the work that what they do. They are not a 1099 quote employee. They are they they have to be paid W two, right? And you have to pay them overtime, minimum wage, assuming that they're that they're non exempt, right? And that is a critical issue that that is a big problem that a lot of people fall into misclassifying their employees with respect to 1099 versus W-2, misclassifying independent contractors as independent contractors, not employees. And when do they find out that this is a problem? Uh, Very simply, when they get a knock on the door from the Department of Labor, right, with an audit or something like that, or more, or when they have a problematic employee who is looking for issues and finds out this is an issue and they register a complaint with Department of Labor and then you end up with an investigation on your hands or worse, when you have a plaintiff's lawyer, right, come in and say, you're not paying your people appropriately, you're not paying your people properly, and then you have a, a really serious problem on your hands. And so I would say from a federal standpoint, that is the key issue to, to take into consideration if you're less than 15 employees. 
Once you're over 15 employees, then you have to really start thinking about employee handbooks, which you should have earlier than that as well, and making sure that your discrimination, harassment, uh, sexual harassment, uh, uh, disability, and other kinds of policies are in place. Again, but that usually comes a little bit down the road for, for most startups. Great points. And the 1099 issue comes up all the time. Correct. I, anytime I have a meeting with a client that says to me, my employees are 1099s or I have a 1099 employee, I hired a 1099 employee, I correct them. I said, Let's never say that if they are truly 1099s. But, and, and a lot of business owners are trying or that model makes sense for their businesses where 1099 contractors is the way to go. Right. But it's important that they are aware of what is the clear distinction and that they follow all the rules, uh, the guidelines by the Department of Labor and also by the IRS because we have guidelines that restrict who is uh, an employee who is a, a 1099. And it's important to really separate the language so there is no confusion. You mentioned two examples of how this can come back to haunt us. And another one that I hear sometimes is when a 1099 contractor goes to file for unemployment Correct. and they Correct. say, oh, my employer is X, Y, Z, but that wasn't really their employer. That was just a company that they were doing contract work for. But that's another situation where this can come up as an issue. Correct. That's 100%. And so, you know, I would just say, uh, just to add to that, the, the point that you're making is is really, really important. It, like you said, these, these are complex issues and uh, there's nothing wrong with having independent contractors. In fact, very often it is beneficial for the startup or the entrepreneur to have independent contractors, but you have to make sure that they really are independent contractors and making sure that you're not exerting control over the means and methods by which they're doing their work. So for example, if you're making them wear a uniform, if you're controlling the times, hours that they come to work, if you are uh, telling them how to do their work, if you're paying them hourly, if you have non-competes and restrictive covenants, all these things where you are showing more and more control over the day-to-day activities that they have, it's much more likely that they're gonna be considered employees. So going back again to your first question, when to get an employment lawyer involved, Oftentimes I'm counseling people on how to set up independent contractor relationships or independent contractor agreements so that they don't run into the pitfall of them being misclassified and having a very, very expensive legal battle ahead. Because just to give you a sense, under the Fair Labor Standards Act, if you don't pay someone overtime uh, or, or you misclassify them, you're looking at paying all the back pay times two plus their legal fees plus your own, right? And that's a, and that's that's a scary thing and can be very, very expensive. Totally agree. And we don't want that. We don't want to spend more money than we need to. Remember that bottom line. That's what we're in business That's for. That's exactly right. Yes. Don't give money to penalties, to late filings, to more legal services than you need just to prevent issues. And so let's be proactive in avoiding some of those mishaps. You mentioned earlier Atlanta, that's where, of Georgia, that's where you are, and right. uh, New York. And there, each state will have different uh, employment laws also. How can business owners uh, stay, or at least be aware um, that, you know, federal employment laws are one thing, but then we also have to comply with local uh, state employment laws, especially now that we have so many uh, business owners hiring all across the U.S. 
Yes, this is a major issue, especially after COVID, where people realize that they can really move to a hybrid work environment and have people working from whenever and wherever. And it's it's a, it's an issue that's developing under the law now. I mean, for example, I've got clients here in Atlanta who are hiring employees out in Utah and Wyoming and these kind of places, which is great for equity. It's great for the ability to to spread the wealth across the country and to reach underserved areas. It's from a, it's a wonderful development, uh, but you have to recognize here, here's a good example. Example, right? A, a, an issue that a client dealt with recently. Um, if you want to hire an employee, there are federal uh, laws around uh, how, how to run background checks, right? And and what you can and can't do, what is disqualifying, how you run through people through the background check problem uh, process. Well, guess what? There's also state laws about that as well. And if you're not aware of the state laws where you're hiring, you, you're going to run into problems because more often than not, the states are going to be more restrictive than federal. Federal is pretty is is pretty easygoing. And so generally, as a general principle, and this is not a political comment, this is a this is a business comment. If you're in the more conservative, uh, more business friendly environments in the in the South, for example, Georgia, South Carolina, Florida, these states, you're going to have less state laws to be, to be considering when you're talking about complying with state law. When you're in the more liberal states, especially California, but talking about Illinois and North um, and New York and, and New Jersey, Connecticut, these kind of places, there's going to be a lot more state law to consider. And as you mentioned, local law, there are even cities that have and municipalities that have laws on top of the state and the federal law. And so how do you know how to stay compliant with all of this? Hire a lawyer. Right? Again, that's why it's important to have an attorney in your Rolodex, to have, have an, a good employment lawyer. If you have a good HR person, which a lot of small businesses are, don't have the time or money to invest in, that's also very, very helpful. But the HR person often doesn't know everything. And anytime you're moving into a new jurisdiction, a new state, a new environment, make sure to do your homework to see what are the laws there, both on the tax side. That's another thing which I'm sure you deal with very often, making sure that you're compliant with the appropriate state taxes, wherever you're, the employees might be, but also on also, when it comes to uh, uh, state laws with respect to employment, I'll just mention while we're here, going back to the first comment about non-competes, restrictive covenants and, and confidentiality agreements, those are all matters of state law. OK, and every state is different. The general principles do apply in almost all states, except for California, uh, even New York. The general principles still apply. But how and when those things are enforceable is going to be fully dependent on the state in which you're operating and the state laws uh, that you that you're that you're working within. And so, for example, Georgia is pretty typical for most states in the in the country. New York is actually, believe it or not, similar. You can enforce non-competes, non-solicitation agreements, restrictive covenants, as long as you are protecting a legitimate business interest of your company. But anything beyond the legitimate business interest of your company is not going to be enforceable. That's the general principle. So anytime you're moving into a new jurisdiction, it is certainly important to check with your attorney, check with the, your trusted advisors to make sure that the non-compete restrictive covenants and confidentiality agreements you have, NIP agreements that you have in place are going to be enforceable appropriately in that jurisdiction as well. Totally. I mean, that's a great point. And I have seen being from New York and, and having my business here, New York all <laughs> typically has changes, right? First than uh, before other states. And one of the things that we, not to say, guys, that we are, that we go first, don't get me wrong. <laughs> it's just that I hear them first. <laughs> but uh, we have seen, for example, when 
the um, federal minimum wage was X. New York State had it, you know, had a different one, and it was just higher than what the federal was. And then New York City uh, enacted an increase before the rest of the state did. So definitely be aware of the changes locally and statewide before. Uh, in addition to being aware of what's going on the federal level. And that's where you have a good advisor on the legal side right. to help you navigate through that. Yeah. And of course, uh, a good payroll company, payroll provider also. 100%. And I would just mention that you'll you'll find more and more that employment lawyers specifically like myself are not – our practices are not geographically limited because we're living in a new age economy – especially in the realm that you and I work, which we work with a lot of tech startups, a lot of uh, scaling tech companies and scaling companies generally, uh, they are not geographically limited and they have people, frankly, all over the world who work for them. I mean, I've got clients that have, have offices in France and Israel. Uh, you get clients who have offices out in, in the Far East. And that's normal in, in the world that we're living in today, especially in the context of research and development. And so it's important to recognize in that context for employment lawyers like myself, we are increasingly having to be aware of, knowledgeable of, and able to counsel our clients on on laws across the country. And you'll find that most employment lawyers are going to be proficient nationally and be able to work nationally as well. Thank you. And um, I know that, and you mentioned this before, we must comply with certain requirements when it comes to employee benefits. But we... I'm of the belief that we don't do just what is minimum when it comes to employee benefits. We want to do a little more right. uh, than that for retention uh, purposes. What is your opinion on that in terms of doing, uh, or maybe as an attorney, I don't know if you can give your opinion on on screen <laughs> without signing something, but let's uh, just give me your feedback on, on the difference, you know, your perspective on just doing the minimum uh, on benefits because the federal or state law requires requires that or versus doing more than that just for employment retention or employee retention. And I know you are part of a company, so this is something right. that you probably deal with internally. hundred percent. And I'll preface that by saying, like you mentioned, uh, nothing I say here is legal advice per se. Um, it's just giving you yeah, some I direction. I meant to remind you yeah. of that because <laughs> you say that at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the, the classic lawyer line. We have to say, you know, uh, go seek your own counsel for things that are actual legal advice. I'm not giving legal advice. This is informational only. But anyway, uh, I'm not that kind of lawyer who just checks the boxes. And on your question, it's actually a, a great point. This and this leads to me leads me to a, a critical point and and the, our passion at our law firm as to how we practice law, which is we don't want to make business problems into legal problems, right? And when it comes to employee benefits, ultimately that is going to be a a business issue. That is going to be how are you going to retain and attract the appropriate talent? The reality in, in the world today, as we're seeing, is that we are in a tight labor market. It is hard to find good employees. It's hard to find people to work. You have stores and restaurants and other places that are closed because they simply cannot find anybody to work. It's an amazing thing, right? So when it comes to benefits, that goes to culture. That, go, Like you said, it's, not, it's so important to recognize that, that the workplace is not about just complying with the bare minimum of federal law or state law or any of these things like that. If you do that, you're going to have a really awful workplace, right? Going back to the discrimination conversation, right? Yes, according to federal law, you're not, you don't have to have, uh, you, you are not covered by the discrimination laws. Some states, by the way, are a little different until you're 15 plus employees. That does not mean that it's okay to sexually harass your workers, <laughs> right? It, it's not just about the law. It's about 
uh, creating a safe work environment, creating a optimal work environment, creating a, an environment where people love coming to work every day and are happy to come to work every day. That's what it's all about at the end of the day. So when it comes to benefits, yes, there are federal laws and state laws about what you should and shouldn't do in terms of leave, parental leave, medical leave, uh, health insurance, all these different things. are it's, it's all true. But at the end of the day, the bottom line is that if you are trying to attract really good talent to your, to your, uh, to your business, you want to put in place a really good benefits program that will attract that talent. And so I believe that the private market w- does uh, allow for, for a, a advancement in this area. For a great example is paternity leave, right? Many, many people don't give paternity leave, right? But, and, and most states do not require you to give paternity leave. But you know how happy that's going to make your employers if they know they can take some time after they have a baby, even the men, right? Maternity leave, it's the same thing. Many states, you do not have to provide maternity leave. Um, all these different things are, are areas that boil down to creating an environment where you can attract the best possible people to work for you and don't just comply with the law. You should go above and beyond and find a way to create a really, really healthy work environment. Sorry, it's a passion point of mine. <laughs> I, I see, I see. No, I love it. As a mother of two, I would have loved for paternity leave to exist when I have my kids. Oh my God, that could have been so much help. As, and a, that would have been happy. <laughs> as a father of five, I would have loved to have paternity leave too. <laughs> five, okay. You, you heard it. We are parents too. <laughs> we are parents too, in addition to running businesses and helping you all grow yours. That's right. So, I love it. Um, tell me a little bit about your podcast. Uh, I want our listener uh, to uh, know about it so that we sure. can check it out. Yeah, certainly. So I, I manage and I, I host the Stanton Law Podcast. Uh, and my goal is really to interview and bring uh, business leaders on to talk about issues that are valuable to small business owners, entrepreneurs, and, and scaling businesses. But most importantly, I love people to come on and share their stories and how uh, their personal lives and their personal passions and who they are as people has informed and created uh who their business is and the way they, they practice whatever it is that they do. And so, uh, so that's the podcast that you can, you can find it on uh, Spotify and all the other different uh, channels. Uh, and I have fun with it and I, I get to meet interesting people and learn about people's lives. And it's a, just a meaningful thing to be able to learn about what makes people tick and how that, uh, cause I don't believe in work-life balance. I believe that we should have integrated lives that our business reflects our passions and our passions reflect in our business. And therefore that's what I like to, to showcase in the show and be an opportunity to showcase different kinds of businesses and leaders and how they operate. So it's kind of fun. You see, Josh, is not your typical lawyer. No. It's not. <laughs> no. Nope. Um, thank you for sharing that. And we'll share the links uh, to all of uh, Josh's uh, social media platforms and the podcast that so you can check that out um, at some point. And yes, and um, I, I can't wait to... Yeah, I'm gonna be in spot. I can't wait to be a guest on your podcast. This is You're not coming, right? <laughs> I am. <laughs> I am. It's coming. It's yep. coming up soon. Um, thank you so much. We I really enjoyed this conversation. I am learning so much. I think we can talk about employment law forever. And you do this day in and day out and you help so many business owners. And uh, I will definitely have you back next year for some new topic. And I really appreciate you joining us and uh, giving us so much information. Well, I appreciate you having me. And it's always a pleasure to share the wealth. And, uh, you know, like I said, at the end of the day, 
I care about small business owners. I care about entrepreneurs. I really do care. I, you know, maybe I care too much. And, and it just, it hurts to see people fall into the pitfalls without necessarily knowing uh, what they're falling into. You don't know what you don't know. And so certainly uh, follow me on LinkedIn because I post a lot of educational content on there to give people ideas of things they need to, they need to consider. And if anybody, you know, wants to continue the conversation, I'm more than happy to do so. Thank you. We really appreciate that. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Josh. Really appreciate you. And uh, looking forward to continuing conversations around employment law. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to In Great Company with Ramona Cedeno. You can find new episodes of this podcast every first and third Wednesday of the month. Or you can join us live on major social media platforms like LinkedIn and YouTube every second and fourth Tuesday of the month. If you want to contact us, you can do so by emailing me at rsedeno at fibric.com or searching for Fibric or Ramona Sedeno on all major social media platforms. Music